I don't know how many of you guys saw the movie that came out this summer, um, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It was a story about Fred Rogers and uh, the show that he had from 62 until like basically into 1980 or so, um, the children's TV show that was out there, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, and um, it was, it's a great movie, and apparently people were very interested in it. And I didn't know until recently that there's so much interest now, after he's passed away, Mr. Rogers, that they're actually going to do a major movie on him coming out in 2019. And who do you think they got to play Mr. Rogers? Tom Hanks. Some of y'all heard it. It's going to be Tom Hanks coming out sometime in 2019. One of the things that uh, Mr. Rogers said in almost every single show for a period of time was this, uh, this line. He would, he would say to the children, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the world um, like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I think that message is, um, goes right into a rings with part of one of the most important parts of all the gospel. That you are the beloved of God. And I know I've preached on this before. I'm going to preach on this again. And if I had one last sermon to preach, it would be some variation on what we're doing today. I mean, I'll just be honest about that. Because I don't think there's anything more important than taking on board and realizing that we are the beloved of God. And I think we live in a world that makes it very difficult for us to hear that and to know that. That's one of the reasons why I think this is a sermon that needs to be preached a couple times a year. To, for us to come back and think about what that is and take it on board. And we, and we have a world that wants to say something different to us. Because like, we want to, we always want to um, encounter, the, we always encounter this world that says, how do you measure up? Because that's, that's what matters. Like if you want to have some worth, it's got to be because you measure up some way. And part of our, um, gospel, our readings today, I'm going to talk about both of them. But the gospel lesson starts out where Jesus kind of hits this square on. And you may not get it when you read it. And I'm talking about the second part of the gospel where we're talking about the little children. And little children at the time were seen as being powerless, sort of almost disregarded. Um, you know, the, the, um, I've seen some of the commentators talking about how the mortality rate at this time was tremendous. Like basically 50% of children um, died before the age of 12. So that this impacted how people viewed them. And so they weren't given a whole lot of place. The Gentiles, if they had too many children and there was an issue about taking care of a child, just leave it out. So they're, they're powerless. They're in this insignificant place in culture and society. And the disciples, I think, they've, they've got it, that they've got the king, the Messiah, and they're shielding people from Jesus. Like, no, 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 this is a, we got a big wig here. Don't let the little fries come. And Jesus sees it, and our translation says Jesus was indignant. But I think it's a lot more than that. I mean, I think, I think we got tender ears in the room, so I won't say what I think he, how it might have been translated in, into a stronger position today. But, but I think Jesus is really wrapped up in this. Like, you've got it completely wrong. I mean, bring, the, bring these little ones to me because I want to wrap my arms around them and love them and bless them because this is what the kingdom is like. Those who have no power, who haven't earned anything, who haven't achieved anything, whatever, he's embracing them. And he goes further than that. He, he tells them, actually, the kingdom of heaven are for like these. And, you know, if you've ever been around sort of a, a militant um, atheist, they'll look at this passage and say, well, he's saying you need to have a childish faith. 
That's not what I think the passage is saying. I think the passage, and when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is for like these, it's to come open-minded and to come curious and to come trusting and all the things you think about how a child would, would approach and not because of some childish faith. But the world, again, Jesus says bring them. They haven't earned it. But the world keeps saying you got to earn it. And the classic ways that the world keeps telling us we have to earn it is by the things that we do, the words that people say, and the things that we have. Again and again and again. And I'm going to show you in a minute how this even comes up in Scripture. But we get to where so oftentimes we're about what we do. What do you do for a living? What do you do? What have you achieved? Or if you're in retirement, look what I did. Look at the stuff on the wall. Look at this. Because that's so important to what makes us important in this culture. And that's what the world wants to tell us. That's how you matter. That's how you, you're somebody. Or it's by what people say about you. We get so worried about what people say. Are people going to love me by what I say? I know this uh, preacher who told the story about the first time he got invited. He was coming up and he was, he was well regarded and was a, was a good preacher. And he finally got invited to preach to a really big crowd. It was like multiple thousands. And he was happy with it because he got to come pick his best sermon that he'd polished through the years and what have you. And he got up and he preached it. And people loved it. He polished it. People loved it. And, he, and like everybody loved it except for one guy. He said, came up to him and said, that was a bunch of bunk. And he said later, he said, you know, I don't remember anybody that day who told me all those good things. I remember that one guy. Because that's how we're wired. We, we want people to love us. You know, we want, I think sometimes clergy don't want to preach a hard sermon. Like even though we love you and we want you to know that money will strangle you to death, but we're reluctant to get up and preach a hard sermon on tithing because we don't want you to, we want to be loved. You know, that doesn't always feel like love. Even though it is, right? Because we want people, the words matter. And the third thing you know is possessions. And I'm going to say maybe even more so in Dallas. It's what you have, what kind of monetary things you have. But then it's also these other things we, we hold that we possess. You know, our health, relationships, you know, our education, whatever, el whatever else we hold on to. And then when one of those go, some, one of those blows up, our whole world goes upside down and we, we head off into this, you know, spiral of sorts. All, actually, all of these things, right? These, all three of these things. If we're not achieving, we feel down. If people aren't saying good things, we feel down. If we don't have these things we think we hold, one of them's blown up, we feel down. And life becomes about trying to keep things above the, the line, try to keep all these things up. And Jesus, both in what he does personally and in what he says to us, he rejects that completely. And we don't have time to go back and read it all. But, but super quickly, think about Jesus personally for a minute when he starts his public ministry, right? You have this moment where he walks out in the desert to the Jordan and he comes up to John the Baptist and John sees him and, the, and John ends up baptizing him and the skies open up and everybody sees this physical thing of the spirit coming down on him. And the voice, everybody hears the voice saying, this is my beloved son, my beloved, who I'm well pleased with. And then, and then Jesus, right after that, we, we read it at Lent. But Jesus, right after that, is head, heads out into the desert. The Spirit leads him out into the desert. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but he gets tempted on these three things. I mean, like, this isn't new. This is the old playbook, right? So the first thing, the devil comes up to him and says, why don't you do something amazing? Because then you'll be someone. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? 
That's going to be amazing. You do that, you're great. Jesus is like, no, I'm not doing that. And then, and then they, he says, well, why don't you throw yourself off the top of the temple? And the angels will catch you. Everybody's going to talk about you. What are they going to say about you at that moment? Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then the final thing, possessions, he says to him, look, why don't you bow down and worship me and I'm, I'll give you everything. He said, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. And recalls and remembers and holds on to that he's the beloved. He's the beloved of God with whom I'm well pleased. And that's exactly where we are. Like that is exactly where God holds us as the beloved. And, you know, turn into Psalm 8, which I love. And y'all have heard me probably speak on before because for reasons I can't explain other than maybe God's hand. Psalm 8 is a psalm that I had laminated and stuck on the wall of my shower when I was in high school. At a time when you're struggling to figure out who you are and all these relationships and things and all this, your identity and all this stuff. I started every day in the shower reading this thing. And the ver- first four verses are verses that talk about how great God is and everybody that praises Him and all this. And then verses 5 through 9 are basically talking about how God's crowned us. He's made us a little bit lower than the angels. He's put us over all of this you know, all the stuff. But it's not just that he's crowned us. It's ultimately, as you read scripture, it's that he loves us. You know, we read in, in 1 John um, chapter 4, it talks about how God loved us first. And how he, you know, goes on to redeem us and all the things he does. Because he loved us first. In the, in the communion prayers in a few minutes, you're going to hear how in his infinite love he made us. How he loves us. And that 1 John 4 calls us out saying, you're the beloved, and because you're the beloved and God loves you so much, we ought to love other people. That we're that loved. And Jeremiah, I mean, uh, Jeremiah is going to talk about how we have this eternal love. We're loved with God's eternal love. And other parts of Scripture are going to talk about how you were loved before you were born. God knew who you were and He loves you. And so if you never hear a single word I say in my entire time in ministry, I'd love you to hear one thing. You're the beloved of God. You are the beloved daughter, the beloved son of God. And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, because, you know, we oftentimes want to make this about what we achieve. Like, okay, I can hear God loves me, but it's because I'm good. Yeah, no, it's not. It's just God's grace. Like, you can say this to anyone. In fact, if you're struggling with somebody at work or wherever else who's a jerk, you can sit there and think, oh, God loves them. The person who cuts you off in tra- traffic, you can think somehow God loves them. And it helps you with it. But it isn't what we earn or what we do. But it's hard for us in our culture to take that on board. I heard uh, a story told by um, an, another preacher, a guy named David Prince, who talked about he knew of a, a couple. He was, he was explaining how they had done an international adoption. And um, they did this international adoption. Apparently, they adopted a little girl who was old enough to communicate, and they adopted her from a horrible um, orphanage, whatever country it was. The stories I got, it didn't say what country it was. But they brought her back to the house, and they were able to communicate with her, and they explained to her, this is your new home. They gave her the tour and did all this. And for the first time in her life, she had her own room. And they said, this is your room. And your job here is to keep it clean and orderly and to maintain this room. And the next morning, they said they came down. She hadn't, come, she hadn't come out of her room yet for breakfast or anything else. And they came into her room. And she's sitting on the bed, and everything's perfect in the room. And she said to the parents, 
you know, I've done everything I can. It's, it's all clean and tidy and everything else. Can I stay? And do you still like me? And they were like, yeah, of course. And it took her, they said, a long time because the way she'd been raised and what she'd been through to understand the unconditional love of a parent. And I think we struggle with that too, of understanding we don't earn God's love. That's what grace is about. And it's hard for us, you know. So as you come up on Lent or whatever, or Advent or whatever the next devotional period you're going to go into, if you want to read a book outside of the Bible that we talked about recently, um, last week, a great book on this topic that I'm preaching on today is a book called The Beloved by Henry Nouwen. And, and some of y'all know Henry Nouwen. He was this Roman Catholic priest, taught at Yale, spiritual writer, became very famous. Um, he died some time ago, but he wrote this book called The Beloved. And he wrote it for a person that I'm convinced he really loved, who wasn't a Christian, who he wanted to try to explain something about the gospel long before he talked about Jesus, just trying to say what it is that before we even talk details, you're loved and you don't earn it. But part of that, he, in the book, he says this, and I want to read this one um, quote from him. Henry Nouwen says, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are. And you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, as strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I'm the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity. I'm convinced that um, if we would hold that, it'll change us. In fact, I'm convinced if you only had, if you said, I'm only going to give one minute to God each day. But if you started your day with one minute and you did this, if you took 30 seconds to remind yourself that you're the beloved of God. For 30 seconds, just think about this. Don't earn it. I'm the beloved. And if you took the next 30 seconds to think about all the things you're grateful for. Because every day has got something beautiful. Every day. Even the worst day has got something beautiful. I've got a niece that was born between the two towers on 9-11. And I always think about all the good stuff going on that day. There's something beautiful every day. If we can be grateful for... Start our day remembering that we're the beloved and to start with an attitude of gratefulness. It'll change how we see everything else. And, you know, Christians don't talk about it enough, but we're going to all face pain. I, in fact, we'll face some pain of some measure every day. But if you know you're the beloved and you start with this place, you can look square in the eye of pain and keep moving through it. Because, you know, the people who love us in this imperfect world are going to love us imperfectly. And we're going to get hurt. Your parents are going to impart some hurts on you, even though they love you. Your children are going to impart some hurts on you, even though they love you and you love them. The church is going to hurt you at some point, even though the, the church loves you. All this stuff is going to happen. And I think we keep coming back to God loved us first and that we're the beloved. When you feel tempted to be bitter in life, come back to this, that you're the beloved. When you're tempted to just hold on to your anger, you come back and think about how you're the beloved. When you're disappointed 
in something in life. You come back and hold on that you're beloved. And then I think from there it sends us out, right? Because then as you hold that, you hold on that you're beloved, and as you're drawing on God's resources, you're able to give in a broken world. You come back to this um, passage I quoted from earlier from 1 John 4, where he says in verse 11, you're the beloved, so we ought to love other people. That this idea that when you really get that you're the way you're loved, you want to go out and share it. When you really get that you're chosen and God knows you from all eternity, has known you this way, you want to go out and help people understand they're chosen. It's not a zero-sum game like the world teaches us. We go out and help people again and again. I think it's fantastic. The world's going to tell us otherwise, but you're the beloved of God. You're, you're the beloved. You don't have to earn it. Just hold it. Receive it, claim it, let it bask over you, and it'll change who you are and how you live. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you created us and that you love us, and you loved us before we even took our first breath. And Lord, we live in a world of achievement and um, possessions and things. Help us again and again to come back to just understanding you just love us. You just, you just love us. And help us come back to your version of these words from Mr. Rogers. You've made this day a special day by just being you. There's no person in the whole world like you. And I love you just the way you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.